Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Amen, amen. Well, welcome to 12 Stone. Incredible worship. Come on. I mean, we get to worship a God that is worthy of our praise. And man, we're glad you're with us, whether you're at 12 Stone Home or one of our campuses. Man, thank you for jumping in and being a part of this weekend at 12 Stone with us. Well, we are in our sixth week of our study of the book of Ephesians, this being our sixth week. And we're going to continue. We're going to go after it and discover what God has for us through his word and the words of Paul through the Holy Spirit writing through him here today. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. So if you would, grab your Bibles, wherever you're at, or maybe it's your phone, and and bring that out, whatever device you may use, or the Bible itself, open that up, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. It's where we're going to land today, and we're going to read it and dive into it and, and see what God would reveal to us here today. But before we actually get into the text, as you're turning there, let me get you caught up into where we've kind of been and what the breakdown of Ephesians looks like so we can better understand what we're going to read here today. Now, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians talks about this power, so to speak, that we can tap into, that we have when we are in Christ. That in Christ, through a surrendered life to him, through the full gospel, meaning his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection three days later, and his ascension into heaven, through that, we are in Christ when we surrender and believe and confess that he is our Savior. And in that, there is this power that we have. It's the first three chapters of Ephesians. We've talked about it, broke it down over the past five weeks, what that looks like. Now, the the next three chapters, last three chapters of Ephesians are are about how to live that power out, how to be the light of the world, so to speak, with Christ in you to demonstrate Christ's love in the way that you live. And we're going to keep going into that as we study Ephesians. But today, we're going to discover that Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, is sandwiched right in between these two things. And, and I want to give you a, a visual, so to speak, of what this scripture really looks like, and it's this. It's an extension cord. See, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, is a prayer from Paul. But more than a prayer, it's a demonstration of what prayer actually does in our lives. So go over here. See, prayer, here's the truth of it. Prayer is the conduit of which the power of God works in you and through us to bring his light to the world. This is what we're going to read today. We're going to read about this extension cord that allows us to tap into the power of God so that we can bring light to this world and live that power out every day. So with that scripture open, go ahead, grab it. We're going to read. I'll read it, and you can follow along. But I'd encourage you, man, as we read this, really soak in it and soak up the words of Paul right here. This is one of the most powerful uh, prayers that he writes. In fact, this is the second prayer of Ephesians, the first being Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. That former prayer is kind of about this enlightenment that God would open our eyes to see. But this prayer is about enablement. It's Paul saying, man, if you could just reach out and grasp this power, 
every day in your life, you would watch a transformation take place around you and the kingdom of God fall upon you and around you in a way you've never seen before. Exciting stuff. Let's read it. Verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all of the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Not to, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And everyone said, amen. What a prayer, right? Man, what a prayer. What, what an invitation from Paul, for every single one of us to engage in prayer, to walk into this way to bring the power of God onto this earth. Great invitation. And then when I read that, I, I can't help but ask myself a question despite that. And here's a question. Why do we find it so difficult to pray? Like if this is the invitation that Paul has given us in demonstrating what God has invited us into, why do we find it so difficult difficult to pray. Now, I think many of us, we might turn to, to self-discipline, right? We don't pray enough like we don't work out enough. We don't pray enough like we don't eat enough vegetables. It's just a discipline thing. We need to do it more. Now, I'm going to suggest something differently here today. And it's something that most people just, they don't even want to talk about inside of the church. They don't even want to mention it, but it's in the back of their minds. I think this is the real reason we find it difficult to pray, and it's this. We're just not sure how much good prayer actually does. We're just wondering, thinking to ourselves, how much good does this actually do? And here's why I think this is the reason, because there's three things that happen inside of prayer. Sometimes you pray and things happen. Sometimes you pray and they don't. Sometimes you don't pray and the thing you forgot to pray for happens anyways. Ever been there? I had a moment, I, I was at church and a lady came up to me and she just said, Sean, I want to thank you so much for praying for my son. He got into the school that we're talking about, everything that was happening, God settled it. And man, I just know it's because you're praying. I had completely forgot, completely forgot, never prayed for it. You know what I say, said to her? You're so welcome. <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? Just terrible. But have you ever been there? It's like, listen, I've learned a lesson. Dan Ryland taught me this. Great lesson, man. Whenever somebody asks you to pray, don't say, I'll be praying for you. Pray for them right there, then and now in the moment. God's there. It says we're two or more gather. I'm there. I'm present. Pray right there for that to happen. I learned that lesson. But, but still, we're left thinking and looking at this and just going, man, this is so true inside of our lives, inside of our prayer lives. And we're left thinking, like, what gives? Like, what is going, what, what, why am I even doing this? And I think so many of us in our lives, we're like this. We want to see the power of God, and we're stretching, and we're going, I want to be the light of the world, and we just can't get into that power. And we're going, what in the world is going on? Why am I even doing this? How effective, man, how effective is this really? 
I'm just not seeing or experiencing what everybody tells me I'm supposed to experience inside of prayer. And today, we're going to walk back through this point of scripture. See, one of the main ways you learn how to pray is by listening to someone else pray. And Paul's praying for the church, and he's demonstrating inside of that, this is how you pray. This is how you see prayer become effective inside of your lives. And we're going to walk verse by verse, break down what Paul is trying to demonstrate to you and I. But there is, there's, there's one thought that it keeps coming back to each time we read through, and it's this. Apart from Christ, you are farther from God than you feared. But in Christ, you are nearer to God than you hoped. We're nearer to God than we could have possibly hoped and imagined when we surrender our lives to Christ. And Paul wants us to understand that through prayer, and he's going to teach us how to pray. So here we go. When we eavesdrop on Paul's conversation with God, there's six convictions that really, in principles that stand out that you put into practice. I made an acronym for you just to remember because we do that. We're pastors. Uh, and it's this. Prayer is personal, relational, asking, yearning, expecting, and revealing. And Paul's going to walk us through each one of these and how that makes an effective prayer life. And as note takers are jotting it down, thinking to themselves, please, God, don't take that off the screen. We're going to go through each one individually if you back up there. So here's the first one. Prayer is personal. Let's start with verse 14. It says this. For this reason. Well, for what reason? Paul, what's going on? For this reason, you feel so compelled to pray and, and to teach us this why. What's going on? Well, if you look back in, in Ephesians and you go back, it's really Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 that this prayer actually starts. But then Paul goes on this holy rabbit trail talking about his calling, gets off subject, then comes back to it in 14. So we have to look at what preceded chapter 3. Well, what preceded it? Two chapters about the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God for you and I. So when Paul says, for this reason, what he's doing is he's pointing back to the love of Jesus, the love of God, what he rescued us from, saying, look at the grace, look at the mercy. We talked about it last week. And he's saying, for this reason. See, prayer is personal. Why? Because every time we pray, every time we get before the Lord, we should say, God, for this reason, remember your own testimony. Remember what God has done in your life, what he has saved you from. God, for this reason. For this reason. That's why I pray. See, prayer is personal. But he continues, he says, for this reason, I kneel. Now, the posture of Paul is so important in this moment, because it wasn't normal, so to speak, uh, for, for a Jewish person to be getting down on their knees to pray. I mean, if you've ever seen a picture of the wailing wall, what was normal is they would stand in front of it and, and pray. So his posture matters. I mean, he's in prison writing this letter. And, and you can imagine that must be very difficult to get down on his knees, maybe but writing this by candlelight. Uh, his health was not good at this point. I mean, he had gone through so much already in, in his walk with Christ and in moving the church forward. But yet he gets on his knees. And why this is so important is it demonstrates the posture of his heart. See, in order to plug into the power of God, it requires us to approach him with humility. Getting down on his knees was a demonstration of the great humility he understood of which who God was and who he 
was. See, I wonder how much of our prayer boils down to us trying to manage God rather than us seeking God. We're called to seek him for who he is. See, part of us, if we're honest, if we're just honest, part of us wants to be in control of God, don't we? Like, we want him to be just manageable enough that we can get out of him what we need. But it's in the moments when we lose someone we love, when we make a bad decision that haunts us, when we, when we were walking through something we just simply can't change and can't control, we realize in those moments that it, there's this invaluable lesson that Paul knew that we have to understand is this. God is God, and by default, we're not. God is God. And maybe you're watching a 12-stone home here at one of our campuses. You believe the latter part. You figured it out. You screwed up enough. Go, I'm not God. I get it. But you're wondering, where, where's God? I'll tell you what. There's a heavenly father that loves you. His son, Jesus Christ, died for you. And the Holy Spirit can be within you and wants to chase you down and empower you. That is our God. He is God. And by default, we are not. Paul, getting down on his knees, is demonstrating in great humility, I am not God. See, prayer is not giving orders, it's reporting for duty. It's very personal in how we do that. You want to tap into the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit inside of your life. Let it begin by getting down on your knees in humility, demonstrating the humility of your heart. Say, you are God, I am not. Your will be done, not mine. That's effective prayer. Let's go on to the next one. Prayer is relational. Prayer is relational. Ephesians 14 through 15. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. See, it, Jesus was not the first one, but Jesus mentions God, our Heavenly Father, as a father figure over 50, 60 times throughout Scripture and tried to establish that inside of us. And Paul used that as well to describe his father because there is, there is something deeply rooted inside of prayer when we have a great understanding of God as our dad. Have to have that. Now, I'm a father of four which means I have no life besides God, ministry, my wife, my kids. They are busy. They are young. They are active. And I'll tell you what, as a father of four, my kids have no problem interrupting everything or anything I'm doing to ask me a question, right? They're just looking for yes or no. And when they hear no, they know that's just open negotiation for something else. But Paul's using the word father because he wants us to understand that God is our father. That we can approach him with any question we could possibly have in the same curiosity that a child would approach their father with questions. That's the same curiosity Paul's encouraging us to walk up to our Heavenly Father. Ask anything. Talk about anything. It, it, it's relational. Go to him. Now, side note on this. I know this. Man, if maybe you didn't have a father on this earth. That was a great father. And it's hard for you to look up at God and see him as a father because of it. And I, I'd encourage you inside of this. Do not compare your Heavenly Father to your earthly father. Compare your earthly father to your heavenly father. You have a father in heaven that is more caring, loving, compassionate, forgiving, more just, more loyal, more, more all of these things than you can possibly imagine in heaven that loves you. That's the father we're supposed to chase because prayer is relational and Paul wants us to see that. Third, prayer is asking. 
I think many of us get this, don't we? This is the one we're like, yeah, I think I got this one down. We're all right. Uh, prayer is asking. Most of us ask, but let's pay attention to what Paul actually asks for. It's very interesting when you look at it. He uh, says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, which first of all, if you don't know that, God, man, he is full of glorious riches you can't even imagine and possibly created everything, spoke it into existence. The guy's got it all. It's amazing. Uh, I pray that out of your glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. See, the two things that Paul asked for for the church that we should learn how to ask in our own life is first, that we would have strength in the Holy Spirit. When's the last time you prayed for strength in the Holy Spirit? The second thing is for depth in Jesus Christ. Now, curiously, this is the only point of Scripture that actually talks about Jesus living in our hearts. I mean, I think in the church world, we hear all the time, man, ask Jesus inside of your heart. And we talk about that with the salvation moment. But this is really the only point that talks about Jesus residing, dwelling inside of our hearts. And I find it really curious. Why would Paul pray that? He's writing to the church. He's writing to people like you and I who have already given our faith to Jesus Christ. We've surrendered our lives. We believe Jesus is the Son of God, our Savior. Why would he say, I'm praying that God would dwell inside of your heart? doesn't make any sense. Well, because Paul's not talking about salvation right here. He's talking about something different. And to help you understand, let me tell you a little bit about Cassie and I. Cassie and I have been married for 11 years now. Got it right, babe. 11 years. And inside of the 11 years that we've been married, we have moved eight times. Eight times we've moved. I'm sorry. I still love you, babe. Keep moving. Now, Whenever we would move early on in our marriage, we would go from apartment to a bigger apartment to a townhouse, maybe rent a house, stay with my parents, sorry for that one, and, and, and we would just keep moving around. But every time we would go into this temporary place, we, we would, she would try, and I would let her, obviously. She's a woman, she needed to do that, and I love her to death. She would put up pictures, and oh, I want to paint this, maybe, and do that. But I, for me, I'm like, what's the point? And we ain't staying. We're going. Like, all right, you can do that stuff if you need to. But the moment we bought a house, when we bought a house, let me tell you something. You know what we did? We watched way too much of HGTV. I mean, that stuff was on reruns just going. Because we were looking at this house going, man, we're staying. Let's redo the carpet. Let's do the floors. That kitchen is ugly. Let's redo it. Let's, let's update it. Let's go, let's go paint the walls and hang pictures and get pictures taken to put up on the walls. And we got so excited. And we redid everything. Now let's make a point. What, what is Paul saying? Why is he praying to Christians that Christ would dwell in your hearts? Why would he ask for that? Because listen, many of us in our faith, we treat Jesus like he's just staying the night, not staying permanently. So he's just here for the night. Yeah, surrender to you is good. I got you. Got you. Love you, Jesus. Thank you for dying. And we just move on with our lives. Listen, Jesus is not temporarily spending the night in your heart. He's staying permanently. And what Paul is saying is if you would just let Jesus come in and make your heart his home, he'd redo the walls, repaint them a little bit, right? He'd update your kitchen. He'd fix all the brokenness that's inside and the things that you're struggling with. He'd go into the basement where you lock it up or the attic where it's all locked up, go into your greatest shame and guilt that nobody even knows about. And he'd come in and he'd heal you, restore you, forgive you, love you through it. If you just let him in. And Paul is saying, listen, I am praying that God, that Jesus would dwell in your heart. See, prayer is asking. When's the last time you asked for the strength of the Holy Spirit and for Christ Jesus to dwell in every area of your life? 
Paul's saying, you got it. If you do that, you're going to experience this power you've never experienced before. Fourth thing, prayer is yearning. Let's keep reading. That's what he says. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Keeps going. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let me ask you a question. Many of us have life goals. Maybe many of us have bucket lists, so to speak, things that we're going after. When's the last time your life goal was to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God? When was the last time you walked up to someone and they said, man, I just met someone. That dude is filled to the measure of the fullness of God. That woman is filled to the measure of the fullness of God. That's what Paul's praying for you. See, yearning is, is, is this desire, this longing that you can't explain and won't go away. It's something we desperately long. It, Georgia fans, it's like you yearning for Nick Saban to retire. Just retire. Move on. I'm sorry. Georgia Tech fans, it's like you yearning to have a college football team. We just want it so badly. <laughs> Atlanta Braves fans, it's us yearning for tonight. Dear my goodness, do not lose game seven. Come on. For those of you that are lonely, man, it's you yearning to have a closeness, a relationship with anybody. With God. Men, women, it's this yearning that we have, that we sense God is calling us to something bigger we just can't explain. That's what yearning is. And Paul says in prayer, our prayer should be yearning to experience this love of God. I want to read something to you. How do you feel when I read this? Jesus loves you. Do you know that's true? Jesus loves you. I wonder, do you doubt it because you're suffering? Do you disbelieve it because there's great sin in your life? Do you disregard it because it seems too trite or simple? Do you dismiss it because you're too busy with life and care too much about what you're doing? If so, then Paul prayed not only to the church in Ephesus, but also prayed for you here. Paul prayed that we would know the staggering love of God for us. And what's so interesting to me is this. Paul didn't doubt that God loves you, but he did doubt that you'd truly know it. Jesus loves you. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. You know, there's a lot of names for God in the Bible. Wonderful counselor, prince of peace. He's the beginning, the end, the way, the truth, the life. 
But if there was one name that I would use to describe God in this book, in his word that comes out more than any others, it'd be the words of John. God is love. And he loves you so deeply that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. See, prayer is yearning to experience that. Put the next one up there. See, God doesn't love us because of who we are. God loves us because of who he is. It's just the truth. See, when you succeed, God says, I love you. When you fail, God says, I love you. When you have faith, God says, I love you. When you have doubt, God presses in and says, I love you. I love you. Do you know this about God? Do you yearn for it? And I love this. God's love is so boundless and so, and so profound that Paul can't even come to words. Paul is this man that is so simple, right? Inside of scripture, Paul goes, I'm apostle of Jesus. Let me tell you how it is. But in this moment, he can't grasp the words, but he uses such beautiful words to describe God's love for you. He says that it's wide, wide enough to welcome anyone anywhere, long enough to stretch from the beginning of time to the end, deep enough to reach down to the worst sinner and high enough to take us to heaven. That's the love of the God that's chasing after you. He loves you. Prayer is yearning for God's love. And to speak of the love of God is to speak of the cross of Christ. Paul needs us to know it. He moves on. Prayer is expecting. Prayer is expecting. You write that one down. Ephesians 3, 20 says this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. See, God, Paul prayed because God is able to do immeasurably more than all you can imagine. Do you know that that is true? God isn't only powerful He's generous. The word more is so significant inside of this. God, we have a generous God who loves us and wants to give us more. And see, the true test of, you, of your faith is not just what you say, but also how you pray. Are you expecting? When somebody leans in on your prayer life, are they hearing you pray prayers that only God could produce? Or is your prayer, you wake up in the morning, God, give me a great day. That's really hard. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of a little bit in control of that, right? We should be praying things that when we pray it, God has to move mountains. Because Paul tells us he can do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. I can imagine a lot, a lot more, more, more than you can imagine. God can do it more. It's always more because that's who he is. Now, what is Paul saying? Why is expectation so important in prayer? Here's why. You will never experience the power of God until you put yourself into a situation that requires it. You want to tap into the power of God? Put yourself in a situation that requires God to show up. Pray in a way that, it, that God has to actually show up. Now, I'm going to get in trouble for what I'm about to say, and I know that. And I'm going to, I'm going to before that, I'm going to say this. If you're that person, you have to send an email and you have to be heard because you, what I'm about to say was uh, insensitive and I'm not even making light of that, then you can do that. Send that email in. But, but I feel like God wants me to say what I'm going to say next. 
And if you need to send that email in, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you, I'm gonna make it easy for you. My email address is kevin.myers at 12stone.com. <laughs> send it to that and, and let them know. Love you, uncle. Man, this is with Chris Morgan, a prayer warrior of our church, earlier praying for the service, and I just, I don't know what, felt the Holy Spirit tell me to say this, so I'm gonna say it. And whatever he has to say, he'll say. You know, the greatest pandemic that is killing this world is not COVID-19. The greatest pandemic that is killing this world is bored Christians. Can I tell you something? There should be nothing boring about following Jesus Christ. If you have walked into a church, if you've walked into 12 Stone Home and you're like, man, this seems so boring. It just, it seems so dull. And you have this sense that there is something more that God has called you to. It's because there is. When you read the word of God, there's nothing boring about what they experienced in Acts as the Holy Spirit moved in them and through them to create the church. There's nothing boring about the way that Jesus Christ brings the, the kingdom of heaven to earth when we pray for him to do that. There's nothing boring about that. And listen, I have learned in my own life that when I am the most bored spiritually, it's because I have stopped praying and following Jesus Christ. Have you? Man, if you've walked in, you're just, man, I'm bored with this. Can I tell you something? I'm guessing you're probably not praying, and you're probably not following Jesus right now. He is going to call you through the power of the Holy Spirit, through your Heavenly Father, to do things you can't even imagine, because you can't do it, only he can. Man, we got to stop being bored Christians. God never intended that to take place. Lastly, prayer is revealing. He continues to say, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The bottom line is God gets the glory. Prayer is so revealing because in prayer, it reveals uh, your heart motives, desires, false gods, and functional saviors are exposed. They're exposed inside of prayer. What you rely on the most gets exposed while you pray, while you're in the presence of God. It's revealing of who God is and what we cling to rather than him. I love that Paul says the glory of God. But if you want to experience powerful prayer, if you want to experience a prayer life, it's not just questions of what am I doing and what's going on. It begins and ends with God. That's what I love so much about this point in scripture. What does Paul do? He begins with God. He says, listen, you want to tap in to the power that God has for you. If you want to experience this stuff and you want to plug into what he has for you, then I'll tell you what, you better get down on your knees and acknowledge that he is God and you are not, that you don't know what's going on in your life. You don't fully understand it and you can't, but he has it in his hands. And if you'd surrender it before him, if you'd submit it before him, if you would trust in him alone in those circumstances and pray, father, what is your will? You would see this power come in your life. And then Paul ends it on the other side. He goes, listen, listen, it can't be for your glory. It can't be. When the light comes on, let me ask you a question. When you pray and the prayer gets answered, who gets glorified, you or God? It has to be God, which means it has to be according to his kingdom. Are you praying to move your life forward or his kingdom forward? 
Pulses has got to be for God's glory. You want effective prayer life in your life. Plug into the power of God through humility and understanding who he is and who you're not. And then go and seek after the kingdom of God. Now, what does this look like? Great. We walked through this with Paul. He's given us different things to walk through and understand about prayer. But what does it actually look like? You can write this down. Write this down. This is the practice. This is what we do as followers of Christ. Effective prayer begins when you perceive the gap between where a situation is and where God wants it to be. That's where effective prayer starts. You see a gap between what you perceive and between where a situation is and where God wants it to be, and you start praying. God put you there for a reason. Now, okay, what, is that, what does that look like? Let me, let me give you three really quick illustrations of my own life. Cassie and I are driving home. 985, getting off of Friendship Road. As we're sitting there waiting on the line at the light to turn, there's a man on the side of the road holding a cardboard sign that simply says, please help, food, money, anything. And in that moment, I went to bow my head to pray and ask God, what do you want? And the moment I bowed my head, God just said, stop praying. You know what to do. Like, what? Are you kidding me? So I look at my wife, Cassie. She looks at me. She opens up the wall. We hand this man some money. Say, God bless you. Jesus loves you. But listen, here's what I want you to hear. Here's what I want you to hear. I did not have to pray very long in that moment, right? I just bowed my head and God's like, what are you doing? Stop praying. Holy Spirit's like, you know what to do. How is that possible? I know this. I've read it. Some of us are praying for things in our lives that God has already given us the answer to. We just have to read this. See, I know that God says, whatever you do for the least of these, you do unto me. I know that God says, feed the poor. I know God says, your money, not yours, Sean, mine. Help him. I didn't have to pray very long. That was easy. I humbly said, you're God, I'm not. God gets the glory in this. Another example. That was six seconds. This one was six months. I've been praying and praying. Cassie's praying. As you know, we're ascending church at 12 stone and I'm going off to senior pastor position somewhere, somewhere. We don't even know where. And people, you guys are so loving. You keep asking, where are you going and when are you going? And I'm like, I don't even know. Just praying. Nothing's happened yet. God hasn't moved yet. And can I tell you something? It's the most frustrating thing in the world <laughs> to not know where we're going to be. Cassie's super excited about moving for the 12th time. But you know what? Following God's not boring. He's going to call us to go do things we couldn't have imagined. He wants to do that for you too. Can I tell you something? Still praying. We're still wrestling through it. That extension cord has ended up being a lot longer than I wanted it to be. <laughs> to plug in, to go be the light of the world somewhere else. But I'm still praying. God will answer in his time. He has something. I just have to trust he's God, I'm not. <clears throat> Six seconds, six months. <clears throat> There's something Cassie and I have been praying for for 12 years. Still nothing. It's frustrating. It's the worst, just the worst. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been praying much longer. And you know what? At the end of the day, Paul reminds us we have a God that can do immeasurably more than we can imagine or ask. He's doing more than we know. And we may never get our answer until eternity when we're in his presence. But we keep praying, keep asking, 
When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray and taught us to pray, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Paul's saying, keep praying. Find the gap between where there is something that is not of God and what God wants, and you go into that moment and you just pray the kingdom of heaven there, tapping into his power through humility, praying for his kingdom come for his glory, and watch what God does. So right now, we're gonna turn this over to your campus pastors. We turned over 12 Stone Home to David to close this out and have a conversation with us. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.